the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You heard on the program news the lawmakers here in California are considering changes to some 34 statutes by, quote, redefining the definition of gender to also include a person's gender expression, close quote. Uh, this on the heels of word that a district here in California, school district, um, would allow children, boys and girls, to identify as boys, girls, or undecided. Now, you talk about uh, creating confusion amongst kids at a time with anything uh, was needed. We need better clarification, better understanding. Some would argue that what's happened here is instead of emancipating a man to be the kind of men and uh, that that God has called them to be, to be the kind of fathers that God has called them to be, the kind of husbands that God has called them to be, instead our modern culture is emasculating them. We take a look at some insights on this topic. Don Otis joins us on the program. Of course, he's a well-known, best-selling author, many, many years involved in High Adventure Ministries, which his dad founded uh, there, broadcasting uh, Christian programming, both radio and television, uh, literally to the totality of the Middle East. Don joins us to talk about his new book, Whisker Rubs, Developing the Masculine Identity. And Don, it's always great to have you on the show. Greg, it's always good to be on with you. You've been doing this for a few years, haven't you? Uh, a day or two now, yeah. I think we're going to turn a corner into about 20, it'll be 23 years this November wow. if they'll tolerate me that long. That's a, that's Wow, that's a long time. And you're a multitasker, I think, because I think you have some technical skills, yeah. too, if I remember correctly. One or two. You got a, you got a good memory. Hey, Don, let's talk about this topic, one that I, you know, ought to capture the attention of, of not just guys in the audience, but women, too. You know, it's funny. You talk to some of the, the single gals around the office, and they say, gee, if men would only be men, boy, how come we just can't find guys these days that understand and appreciate what it means to be a responsible man, an accountable man, a man that loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, lives like it, acts like it, and, uh, and understands what being a man's man is? You know, I, I, I mentioned Maureen Dowd's book, Are Men Necessary? Uh, when Sexes Collide, and, and Peggy Drexler's book, Raising Boys Without Men, I think. You know, during the World War II generation, when many men were, were fighting and, and giving their lives on the beaches of, uh, of France, uh, nobody was asking, are men necessary? They were saying, thank God for men. Thank God that they're they're stepping up. Now, what we do in popular culture, in, in the media, certainly on sitcoms, is we just deride men. We, we tear them down. And <clears throat> then we expect them to be protectors and providers for us. And I'm thinking, you know, you can't have it both ways. You either have to accept the, the, the benefits of a man who's masculine or you, or you, uh, you continue to tear him down and, and uh, make him into something that God certainly never intended him to be. Uh, you certainly live in an area, and I worked with Exodus International for five years uh, doing public relations for them when they were there in San Rafael. And this is an organization that, that deals with gender issues. It deals with the struggle that many men feel um, in our culture. 
And, and we think because of the no-fault divorce laws back in the early 70s that that's had no impact whatsoever on how men, men identify themselves. I mean, it's had an enormous sociological uh, impact on our culture. Well, and, and, and so often, you know... Parent, women, single-parent families where women are the predominant um, raising boys, and they don't know what, what it means to, me, to be masculine. These kids grow up and they're confused. You know, and sadly, Don, the, the so-called feminist movement that, that saw its birth of things like the Equal Rights Amendment in the 1970s, you know, as much as it was paraded as, as, as creating a, an atmosphere in which women can capture rights and be treated more fairly, et cetera, et cetera, you know, but instead of becoming the great equalizer, there are some levels where it's ended up uh, literally, at least in my observation, uh, emasculating a lot of men because now all of a sudden, well, we don't have to be responsible. We're not held to be accountable. We don't have to be fathers to our children. We don't have to be husbands to our wives. If it's, uh, you know, too inconvenient, we'll run out and get a divorce or let the television set raise our sons. Well, and, and, and I hate to say this because it's going to come, come off sounding wrong, but the reality is that the the black community has seen this happen. And what what, what you find is, is a, a huge percentage of, of black children who are born without the benefit of a father what we're saying as a culture is, hey, we'll give you, we'll give you free government services, and and we'll become the father for you because we realize that um, somebody's got to step to the plate and do it. Instead of saying, hey, look, fathers have to become responsible for their own families and and step to the plate, and 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 be there for their kids, be there for their wives. I say this in the book that it's that God's mandate for for men for masculine gender male is to be protectors and providers. You can't be a protector and be a wimp. You just can't do it. And if you if you emasculate a man, then he's not going to be a very good uh, protector. So <clears throat> that's kind of what we're doing in our culture is we've taken away um, men's ability, uh, certainly within the church as well. Uh, and we look at God and we look at all of the feminine uh gender qualities and attributes of God is love, is mercy, is kindness, is grace, all of which are true about God, but we forget about some of those other uh, attributes of who God is, his power, his strength, his might, his, his jealousy, his judgment, his righteousness. Those are kind of more masculine qualities, and, and, and uh, so what we do is we pick and we choose both you know, our perspective of God as well as our perspective of, of the way dads ought to be in our culture. And how interesting it is to know that as much as we've seen this trend, you know, recently in in, in years uh, on an increasing basis here, this move toward encouraging men to find, you know, their feminine side, their gentle side, the softer side, etc., etc. Uh, and, and in that process, I think they have completely abandoned some of the more traditional roles of, of, of the guy as a protector the leader, the provider, the defender of wife and family and all the responsibilities as God designed a man to have. We've completely let these guys, in a sense, sort of off the hook as they're out to explore their feminine side. And in the end, no one is picking up the baton here, are they? And, I, and I'm not against, I'm not against uh, teaching boys to be sensitive. I'm not against men learning to be uh, thoughtful and considerate and, and not acting like Neanderthals. Certainly that's not what we're talking about. <clears throat> what we're talking about, I think, is, is, is men kind of really stepping up and, and being leaders. And I'm not talking about control freaks. 
but being the leaders that God really has intended them to be. You know, I, I think part of the, the frustration that I have with what happened with feminism is it was a pendulum swing that probably needed to happen uh, on some level, but it went too far. And so what happened in, in the process is that, that many men, and this is especially true of Christian men, is they felt like, hey, you know, we can't complain about this. We just have to suck it up and learn to live with it. And so what they did is they, they just sort of walked away from their responsibilities or they, they went into uh, their own little closets, emotionally speaking, and stopped communicating because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to ex- express what they felt because they'd be called wimps and whiners and sissies. And that's not what men want to feel like. So, you know, by sending that pendulum swing all the way, all the way in the other direction, you know, we have become something that I don't think God ever intended. And uh, that's part of the way our, our culture's gone. Now we're looking at far more... And here's the trend, Craig, that, that that I'm seeing. 20 years from now, probably 10 years from now, is more realistic. And even you can look at what's happening in the GOP debates last night with Sarah Palin and the new Minnesota governor. And and you can see how women are are earning, on average, uh, 25% more degrees, uh, bachelor's degrees, than, than men are. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. But... What's going to happen is we're going to see that there's going to be a lot more positions where women are in leadership, CEOs of corporations, uh, taking over in the military, taking over in politics and the government and in the judicial system. I'm not again. I'm not saying that's wrong or that's bad or that the pendulum swing is has not been necessary on some on some level, but men are really falling behind right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with with the way that they feel like they've been treated since the early 70s. And let's be clear in making the distinction here, Don. We're not talking about teaching men how to, you know, engage in bathroom humor amongst the boys and, you know, learn how to crush empty aluminum cans on their forehead, things of this sort. It's not teaching men to be Neanderthals, but rather teaching men to be more responsible, more accountable for their actions and roles and duties and responsibilities as husband, as father, as leader, etc. We'll take a time out. Our conversation with best-selling author Don Otis continues from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back tonight with best-selling author Don Otis. We're talking about uh, men. We're talking about the need to develop the masculine identity for men. Again, this is not some kind of a crazy, goofball, over-the-top, macho thing uh, where guys engage in bathroom humor all day long and, and uh, you know crush uh, aluminum cans on their forehead. Rather, teaching men to be better husbands and better fathers um, and, and to do so in a godly fashion. Um, in a day and an age when we're seeing, as we mentioned before, Don, so many aspects of our society that instead of, of calling men to become accountable and to be responsible for their actions, to be men's men and responsible as such, uh, you know, he, here we are, you know, we're giving kids an option. You can be boys, you can be girls, you can be undecided. I never thought that that was physically possible as an option for children, but apparently some people in the schools districts here in California have figured all of that out. And meanwhile, with fathers and husbands lampooned in popular culture look at some of the shows that run on uh, fox for example sunday nights is it any wonder that guys are getting the the impression boys are getting the impression they don't really need to be accountable for any of their actions to anyone you know and and you're you're hitting a number of really important uh, uh, issues here but i think 
the bottom line is that we, we need to embrace the fact that there are differences, and those differences are okay. So it's okay, for example, if a little boy in school is a little rambunctious, uh, we don't have to give him Ritalin, and 90% of the Ritalin drugs in our public education system go to little boys. <clears throat> that's just uh, that's just trying to tame the maleness out of him. That's my perspective. Or in some cases, they're just uh, blowing out because things aren't working for him at home. <clears throat> but I think culturally, you know, I, I, I did an interview years ago with Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, who's the guy who uh, coined the term reparative therapy. This is for gays and lesbians who want to come out of a gay or lesbian lifestyle. But he said 100% of the men that he works with uh, have had uh, bad relationships with their dads. We're talking about the responsibility and the roles of fathers in the lives of their children. And in most cases, in his, in, in Nicolosi's perspective, 100% of the time, uh, a father can have uh, uh, the effect of, of keeping his kids from going into a, a, a gay lifestyle. That's just that's not my opinion. That's just something that that, that he he found in in years worth of therapeutic work. Um, it says that the role of the father is significant. You go into our, our prison systems, and I live in a in a county where the uh, Fremont County, Colorado, where the state and the federal supermax prisons are here. There's 14 state and federal penitentiaries and regional penitentiaries in this area. Uh, many of the men that are in these facilities uh, are in there because they haven't had the, 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 the gentle control and love and appreciation that a father brings to the life of his son. And I think that's what we're desperately missing. And I think we want to believe, and I, you know, and I, in saying this, Craig, what I'm going to say is going to, it's not going to come off well for a lot of people listening. But, but the reality is, God never intended that either uh, a single dad raise uh, a daughter or that a single mom raise a son. There's many single parents out there that are doing the best job they know how to do. And for the most part, uh, they're, do they're doing it uh, as unto the Lord and, and, and struggling to find their way and, and understand how to uh, impart masculine concepts to their, to their uh, you know, adolescent sons. But the reality is that's not the way God intended it to be. It's very difficult to say, hey, we'll, we'll put them in scouts or we'll put them in a sports team. Really, that's not, it's not the panacea for solving a lot of the problems that we have in our culture. Well, and clearly we're seeing that because of the delinquency rate, the divorce rate. We're looking at, you know, skyrocketing numbers of people that are getting caught, first-time offenses, and then once they get into the system, the rate of recidivism is absolutely off the charts. Absolutely. We can't build these prisons fast enough, and then you sit down uh, typically with most of these offenders, first time or multiple time out, start probing into their childhood and find out well, yeah, my mother had, I got four different siblings from three different fathers. And, That's exactly and, right. You know, there's, there was never any father present in the household. And so these kids just learned that, you know, being a macho guy was going out with a gun and, you know, uh, getting involved in, in, in uh, you know, the temptation games within gangs and so forth in order to, to qualify for gang membership. And that to them is yeah. the only uh, male role modeling, Don, they've ever expo that, been exposed to. You're, you're exactly right. And, 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 you know, if it was any other issue within our culture, and we look at the, we look at the child abuse rate, we look at the uh, poverty rate, we look at precocious sexual activity rate, we look at failure in the school system, we look at uh, incarceration rates, all of those things 
are directly related to the lack of having a father in the household. That's an amazing uh, series of statistics. We're ignoring it. And we're ignoring it because we don't want to believe it. We want to believe that, hey, we can do whatever we want. We can define family in any way that we want to define it, and it's okay. In fact, as you said at the beginning of the program, we can define what gender is. I mean, I I looked at Chaz Bono, for example, on a Piers Morgan show a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, how does this work for you? You know, first you think you're a lesbian, then you're not sure, then you're confused, and now you, you've got a girlfriend. I mean, seriously, this has gone beyond a point of, of, of making any sense whatsoever in our society. And if we think it has no impact, gender identity confusion is a huge issue. And fathers play a significant role in the lives of their kids and helping them grow up to be healthy, normal adults. And, of course, ironically, anytime you talk to a single mom, she will always tell you, you know, if if my husband would only have been a father to my children, and, and therein lies the challenge. A good look at Whisker Rubs, the new book written by my guest today, Don Notis. Look at Developing the Masculine Identity, the new book, by the way, which is published by Living Inc., available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. And uh, as always, Don, we appreciate the time and the insights. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. At a prayer vigil and rally today, these African-American pastors and other pro-life supporters charged Planned Parenthood with, quote, blatant racism and said the group targets African-American women for abortions. They want Congress to stop their funding. Planned Parenthood, no more will you receive one dime uh, dipped in the blood of black children. Today we come to stop what Planned Parenthood is doing. We want to break it, bring an end to the genocide of African-American babies. Part of what prompted this protest are some phone calls, now on YouTube, by pro-life advocates to Planned Parenthood clinics around the country. The callers were testing the employees to see if they would accept money intended for specific race-based abortions. Here's an example of a call to an Ohio clinic. When I underwrite abortion, does that apply to minorities too? If you specifically want it to underwrite an abortion for a minority person, you can target it that way. You can you can specify that that's how you want it spent. Okay, yeah, because there's, so de- there's definitely way too many black people in Ohio, so I'm just trying to do my part. Wow. Now, as unbelievable as that bit of audio that you heard is, uh, it's absolutely true. And it's absolutely incredible that there are members of the African-American community who don't get that who don't understand the genocide taking place right underneath their noses. Thank God for people like Reverend Walter Hoy, who's been a frequent guest on this program that has been working on billboards to help educate people across the country as to the genocide that's taking place. Well, a remarkable new conversation that has come to light. Uh, Comments made by Reverend Carlton Vasey, who is with the, quote, Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, close quote. Sounds a lot like military intelligence to me. That is now suggesting that women need abortion because political forces have denied them health care. With some insights on this, 
Kim Katola joins us. She's a pro-life advocate, former host of CBS News Talk Powerhouse WCCO Radio, and she joins us now by phone. Kim, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. What is your reaction to, to the remarks by by uh, Reverend VZ on this topic, this idea that, that women find abortion as a necessity because, quote-unquote, political forces are denying them health care? Well, first of all, Craig, uh, thank you so much for the invitation to speak. You know, I've been listening um, throughout the program today, and I love your show open about comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And uh, I entrust the second half of that <laughs> dictum to you. <laughs> uh, I'm really called to comfort the afflicted. This is my interest in the issue because I know the lifelong consequences of abortion. And the idea that abortion is health care for women or that women need abortion because there's some gap to access to health care is um, not true and it's a it's a non sequitur one doesn't follow from the other um, generally the people who perform an abortion on a woman are not part of a woman's health care team even part of her health reproductive health care team uh, abortion practitioners tend to specialize if you will they're specialists just like you know, there are specialists to remove spleens, if you, uh, if you want to put it in those terms. And uh, there's seldom any sort of relationship requiring any bedside manner or health care beyond the procedure for the person to be giving to the woman. Uh, it's a separate entity in the lives of women. What, what I find completely unconscionable about this, Kim, is the fact that uh, Reverend Carlton Vesey, who is with the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, um, recently participated in an interview on National Public Radio, uh, the audio which, by the way, is, is posted on Kim's website, and we'll share the address with you in a moment. Uh, what I find absolutely shocking is here's an African-American who is basically advocating abortion on demand in the black community, uh, apparently either ignorant of or choosing to ignore the fact that while fully more than 30% of the abortions that are performed in America today, 30% um, of them are African-American women who apprise 13% of the U.S. population, divided in half, because of course half of that number are men, and the last time I checked, men couldn't have kids, so we're talking about 6.5% of the U.S. population, but then we have to narrow it down to those of childbearing years. So in reality then, Kim, 3.25% of the U.S. population is having 30% of the abortions in America, and somebody like Reverend, uh, Reverend uh, Vesey doesn't see that as a problem? It's stunning, isn't it? And, you know, in the debate that you're referring to, it was, I think, July 18th was the date, um, and it aired on NPR. Um, both the host and Reverend Vizi took issue with Ryan Bomberger's initiative, TooManyAborted.com. He's uh, got an organization called the Radiance Foundation. I'm not personally acquainted with Mr. Bomberger, but I'm very much an admirer of his work. And in their conversation about whether or not these billboards have any merit and whether or not they're based in truth, Reverend Vesey pretty much said that, well, the reasons that those rates are higher have to do with other factors, uh, that, um, you know, this has to do with poor educational opportunities and this has to do with uh, socioeconomic pressures uh, and that Planned Parenthood is there providing health care. It's not just that they're there for abortions. And, and 
you know, there's no, first of all, there's no logic to his to the thread. I mean, uh, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and maybe say that some, maybe something was edited, <laughs> you know, in, because I know that happens in radio. But the way that his statement came across in the interview that NPR aired, uh, it follows the logic that I've heard from organizations such as those that Reverend Beasy represents and, and other people who are clergy. And the reason why this is so um, important to my heart is that as a person, person that is who suffered from abortion, I knew that it was immoral after I had made that mistake. Uh, and when I went looking for a resolution to the guilt, people condoning it to me and people telling me that I had done nothing wrong only increased my distress. And that is what, you know, when, when women go to clergy, when women hear from someone who has the title reverend in front of their name, that there's no moral problem with killing an innocent child, uh, all we're doing is denying them their one opportunity to find repentance, their one opportunity to find redemption in our Lord. And so um, for me personally, it's, it's distressing that clergy would be perpetuating moral confusion. Well, and I think in that moral confusion too, Kim, it is setting women up for, in some cases, a lifetime of an internal rage that results from the confusion raised by an innate sense of, this is a baby, this is part of my DNA, this does represent me insofar as, you know, ten little fingers and ten tiny toes, etc., etc., and there, there's something, I think, innate in us in the core understanding that, yes, this is a life, and that no amount of denial otherwise is going to change that factor, and then women find themselves suddenly in, in, in a post-traumatic stress disorder kind of arena where they feel guilty, they are confused, they are angry, uh, there's a whole host of emotions going on, and instead of providing hope and healing and restoration for women that are in a post-abortive situation, instead what these kinds of, of, of so-called ministers are doing, and I, I put that in quotes, they, they are exacerbating the problem. They are, in fact, adding to the anger and the frustration and the rage and the confusion. And and instead of helping out, they're, they're actually making the situation worse. I, I want to pause on that point for a moment, uh, because when we come back after the corner, a topic uh, too important not to get down to uh, some debate on, and that is this notion that women are being forced into this. They're being left no other choice than to abort, because, again, in the words of Reverend Vesey, Women need abortion because political forces have denied them health care. Excuse me? I'm Craig Roberts. Back to more of our conversation with Kim Katola as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Our guest tonight is Kim Katola. She is a former host of CBS News Talk Powerhouse WCCO Radio and um, joining us tonight to give some insights as to uh, what seems to be yet the next level in this ongoing debate. An important one, I think, because as we have articulated on this program in the past, there is a genocide taking place in America today. It's clear. It's concise. It's calculated. It is being driven by organizations like Planned Parenthood and and sadly, being entirely ignored by so-called leadership within the church today. 
and shockingly so, by members of the African-American church, who apparently, Kim, have chosen to sort of whistle past the cemetery and pretend as if all of this is not happening. What I don't understand is that Barack Obama comes into office. In the first 24 hours of his presidency, he reverses um, what had been longstanding so-called Mexico City policy, Title X funding. The very first official act that he engages in is basically a thank you tip of the hat to the uh, the abortion industry. And then on top of that, uh, sets in pace the most dramatic change in health care in the history of our nation and now suddenly suggests, suggests that Political forces are denying women health care in America, and that's the reason why they need abortion. I don't quite get the logic there. Well, it's, it's actually a logical fallacy. It's called poisoning the well. So if you can convince people that those who are opposed to killing the unborn because they're a human being, that they're opposed to it on political grounds, and they're playing politics with women's lives and all the other uh, rhetorical slogans that get thrown around... If you can convince them that these are religious fundamentalists and that they're uh, playing politics and they just have an agenda and that there is no human life and that there is no grief reaction, including the rage that you so eloquently described before the break, Craig, well, then, sure, it makes sense. You know, you're playing politics with women's lives. It sounds like a, you know, a serious charge. But, of course, it's all political on both sides. And the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, first of all, check the name. A coalition is a political organization. And indeed, if you look at what their activities involve, they're heavily involved in the justice aspect of the abortion question, and they have, uh, you know, legislative activity all over their organizational literature and websites. Well, if they were going to even be true to their moniker, it would suggest that they would be as equally defensive of those on the Planned Parenthood side of the equation as they would be maybe uh, demonstrating on behalf of First Amendment rights of those involved in the pro-life movement, because after all, if you are supporting reproductive choice, doesn't that suggest that it's an either-or, meaning you either abort the child or keep the child? If so, where is the voice that is being lent to the saving of the child's life side of this equation. Apparently, in reality, there is none. Well, and, you know, when Reverend Carlton Vesey said to Ryan Baumberger on this NBR interview you referred to earlier, um, earlier this month, he said to him, you, you have moral on your side, but we, are, we also have morals on our side. And that's a problem for a, a person who is representing God's Word. I mean, there's morals, and there's truth, and there's something else. There is not morals on your side and morals on my side. I mean, either either abortion takes the life of an unborn child or it doesn't. And either you believe that's unjust or you don't. And you can go to God's Word as your moral standard, or you can simply go to human decency. But you can't both be right about the truth. Well, the other irony behind this very twisted line of thinking, too, that is being promoted by those in the religious community uh, that come down on the side of the equation of, of this issue is the idea that somehow, because there are certain societal ills that have to be dealt with, whether we're talking about lack of opportunity, lack of education, uh, lack of proper health care, etc., etc., that somehow we're going to be able to address or cure a social ill uh, 
through the extermination of a people group. I mean, if we're going to take that reasoning, then all of us ought to applaud Adolf Hitler because they considered the, the Jewish question to be a social ill in Europe during the Second World War, and their final solution, so-called, to that problem was the elimination of an entire people group. I don't understand if, you, if we apply evenly and fairly, Kim, that same reasoning across the board, and it seems to me that America or the world owes Adolf Hitler an apology. I, I really, again, want to give credit to Ryan Bomberger, and you can find the interview on his website on, I think, the Radiance Foundation is the name of his organization. If you Google that, you find him. And what you'll see, I think, as you, as you look at his work to raise awareness and to educate on this issue, is his deep and abiding respect for black families and his love for black children and his wish to see them, you know, be given life and be given a chance at life and a deep and abiding respect for black women, that they would be treated with the dignity of motherhood, you know, um, as opposed to the statements of Reverend Vesey. And what's interesting is the Guttmacher Institute, the, the NPR host, um, said that uh, the Guttmacher Institute was a nonpartisan organization. <laughs> which which is fully owned and operated by Planned Parenthood. Well, and I don't know that they still are, but they certainly began there. But they, they also state clearly in all of their literature that they are an abortion rights organization. Now, that's political, isn't it, if we're talking about rights? Absolutely. The Blue Institute put out, put out this report, which the Los Angeles Times published in 2008, about the racial disparities in abortion. And indeed, noting from the Guttmacher Institute again, an abortion advocacy organization, that this racial disparity is real. Uh, but they concluded, because they always do policy analysis in addition to their so-called reporting, they concluded, and I'm quoting here, this much is true, in the United States, the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. Anti-abortion activists, including some African-American pastors, have been waging a campaign around this fact, falsely asserting the disparity is the result of aggressive marketing by abortion providers to minority communities. And they went on to conclude that these pastors appear intent on trying to protect minority women from themselves. And no, the pastors are trying to protect minority women from abortion. It couldn't be any clearer. And yet it seems as though Reverend Beasy simply picked up the Guttmacher talking points and somehow went along with their justification. Well, clearly, Kim, there's a very dangerous agenda at foot here. Let me uh, jump to a quick call here or two before our time is up. James in Union City, come on in with your comment or question for Kim Katola. Hi, Kim, and uh, pleasure to be on your show. I I had a question. Uh, A few months ago, a friend of mine, we were talking about this subject, and uh, he he had told me that uh, basically uh, uh, Planned Parenthood couldn't use our tax money for abortions so I looked into it and looked like on their website that that's what they're saying, that they can't. Uh, but they must be using some kind of double talk, I think, because it seems like that is what they're in the business for. So I wonder if you had any clarity on that subject. All right, good question. Uh, Kim, any insights you can offer our caller here? Uh, you know, it's not my area of expertise, so my understanding of it is that the funds are not fungible. Uh, and again, I'm not an accountant, but in other words, um, you, you can't... You can't set it out. You know, you, you might be able to make envelopes for your grocery money versus your rent money in your home budget, but once, <laughs> once they've collected their 
donations because they are a nonprofit, as well as their uh, political action funds because they're a PAC. They uh, they have you know an aspect of their organization that is a political action committee, and then uh, the reproductive health services versus the abortion services. Well. How do you really sort that out? Well, you really can't. It all goes into one organization, and at the end of the day, okay, let's say that they're not directly using the tax dollar to perform an abortion, but they're taking monies that are then being shifted somewhere else so that they're either using the money to promote abortion in the black community or that frees up dollars from other areas to perform abortion. So in the end, it's all the same thing. To suggest that it's not all coming out of the same pot, so to speak, uh, James, is... Go ahead, please. The proof is in the pudding. Planned Parenthood has argued, I've heard them on the news, and I, again, not my expertise, but they've argued that it represents, that their abortion revenue represents only 3% of their annual budget. Okay, so, you know what, if they were against abortion, and they really were convinced that it, it takes a human life and that it harms women, couldn't they put that resource into helping women, literally helping women prevent abortions just by not offering to do it anymore. Well, I yeah. mean, point, point well taken. In the end of the day, it also demonstrates that the agenda behind the existence of this organization that is clearly out and available on the Internet for anybody to read goes back to the original vision of its founder, Margaret Sanger, and that is the science of eugenics, meaning the survival of the fittest, and the idea that certain people groups have a greater right to exist than others do. And one of these days we get more time on the topic. We'll dive into this a bit more deeper. We're unfortunately out of time. Kim Coltola, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Folks want to get more information about the comments made by Reverend Carlton V.C. of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. You can get details on that topic and on Kim's work on the web at Kim Katola, K-E-H-T, I'm sorry, K-E-T-O-L-A dot com. That's Kim Katola dot com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.